High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road racers, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. Episode four of the podcast this week, we are super stoked to have on Sebastian Tortelli, two-time motocross world champion. He was in Australia last week doing some coaching schools with one of my good friends, Mitch Drummond. I was lucky enough to spend two days being coached by Seb at the Broadford Motocross track, and he was generous enough to give us a little bit of his time after the first day to sit down and have a yarn and do this podcast interview. He is one of the most genuine and humble blokes I've ever met in my life. Super, super nice guy. Um, he shares with us a, a lot of insight here into his his own career, um, his racing career, I guess, and then going on to to his coaching career, and and gives us a bit of insight, I guess, into the top riders of his time, and also the top riders um, now who are who are at the top of the sport, mostly in the European circuit, um, the motocross world championship, but. I can tell you, I have I've spent three days with Seb now, in one day last year and two days last week with him, and I've learnt more off him about riding a dirt bike than I have in learnt off anyone or myself, my whole life. So, if if that's one tip I can give you, it would be go and get go and find yourself a really really good riding coach because if you're like me, you're probably just trying to figure it out. For yourself most of your life and and that's exactly what I did I had a whole lot of tips from my dad who was who taught me everything he knew about riding a BSA Bantam back in the day <laughs> which was great I love you Paulie thank you for that if you're listening but seriously if you if there's one thing you can do to improve your riding apart from getting fit is actually seeing a riding coach who can break down your your riding for you and tell you what you're actually doing wrong because unless you've got someone like that that's at a a really high level with a really keen eye to pick apart your writing you're gonna really struggle to break it down so anyway we'll get into this podcast the sound quality is a little bit dodgy in parts we were sitting on the side of the Broadford motocross track doing this podcast so you will hear a bit of background noise. There was a flock of crows and cockies giving us what for at one stage. So if you can bear with that, I'd really appreciate it. It, Like I say, it's there's some awesome, awesome content in there. And if you can bear with those couple of little bits of dodgy sound quality, you're still going to get a shitload of great value out of this podcast. So if you love it, um, please share it. If you... If you can, apparently it's a really good thing on iTunes or whatever app you're listening to your podcast, you can actually rate and review podcasts. So I would really appreciate that if you could go and, and give it, give the podcast a review or some honest feedback would be awesome because apparently that makes a difference to how your podcast um, is is rated in iTunes and those sorts of, sorts of apps. So if you could do that, that'd be I'd be super grateful for that. We'll get struck get stuck into this episode and I'll see you on the next one. I'd like to welcome then, to the 100%. podcast, Sebastian Portelli, two-time world motocross champion. Thank, Thank you. Welcome, Seb. Thank you for having me over. 
Um, we've been down here today at Broadbit doing a coaching school with Seb. How are you finding it so far? It was amazing. I mean, I was really, uh, I think that's the, the biggest track I found, you know, in, in Ozyland, I would say, you know, it's a super nice facility and then, you know, I can see why they had a GP, uh, you know, back in the days here, you know, the layout, the, the fact that it's on side of the hill is typical European. You know, you have the, exactly the same layout that you would find a GP back in the days in Europe. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Does it remind you of the tracks back home? Yeah, this one definitely does. You know, the texture is a little bit the same. You know, in Europe, most of the time, when you had motocross track, it was uh, basically a farmer was like, oh, I cannot use that land because it's too steep or the dirt is not good. So, yeah, here you go, you can have it. And then uh, you make motocross track out of it. Yeah. So it's always like a little bit rocky or a little bit of clay, like hard shell clay. So it's never you know, very easy, especially in France. Yeah. So this layout actually, it's, uh, you know, they brought some uh, wood chip in and they, they disappear the ground, the water, they have a water system. I mean, it's pretty, you know, pretty nice layout actually with, uh, with all what you need to be able to very technical at the same time. before so yeah. we just need to record that. <laughs> we won't mention the other hundred that I stuffed up it's good fun yeah so first off man I wanted to probably start a little bit of I guess where you started mm -hmm. so can you tell us where like you're French obviously so what's the motocross scene in France like in the 80s and 90s when you were a junior when for sure I started in France that's, uh, that's when it all the Maris Curry until I was uh, 19 20. and then um, so basically I started like uh, every young kid you know I started on the young I was on the bike when I was six, so which is pretty young, and then uh, you know just learned that you could do uh, some races uh, with motocross. You know, you could go and have some some meets and, and race in championship. So that's how I started. You know, my, my parents were not into racing at all motocross at first, and that's something we grew into the family. And then um, I just did my classes and went to the regional championships and then to the national. And then after the European and the World Championship, so it was just uh, progressively, you know, uh, up in the challenge and up in the level with the age, age group. And you know, I did the 65, 85, and 125, and then you know 250 at the time because uh, it was not four-stroke time yet; it was still two-stroke. Mm. So um, I did the junior class in the French Championship, and then I was young. At the time, you didn't race the World Championship until you were 16. So uh, I did a junior when I was like 14. And 14, 14 and 15, I did uh, basically the European Championship. It was the next level up. And then uh, from there, after when I was 16, I moved to the World Championship. Yeah, so you went straight into the World Championship at 16. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. 16. Uh, actually, uh, I was doing the, the European Championship in 125, so did the class. How do you call it? The EMX, the 125 days. Yeah. And I did that, and then I was, uh, the World Championship finished a little bit later than the European Championship. And I was lucky enough that uh, I'm from August, I was born in August. So the last round of the World Championship was after my birthday. So I just turned 16, and then like the following week, I was able to enter the, the World Championship. Yeah. So um, straight into the fire. Yes, turning fire. Uh, <laughs> actually, it was a good day for me. It was, uh, I finished. I didn't win the European Championship. Uh, it was my first year, and uh, the guy uh, was a little older than me. He was in the league, uh, 17, 18. And um, Brian Jorgensen was uh, another factor at the time. After uh, later on. And um, so I finished behind him, and then I went to the, uh, the World Championship. And the, the first uh, the first race, you know, I was obviously French, so I was talking to all the other French guys. And said, oh, you see the the World Championship is uh, another level in stuff. And if you if you don't qualify, don't be sad. You know, it's uh, it's normal. You know, we all went through it. And then uh, the time qualifier was uh, by lap time. Yeah, and uh, I finished fourth in the qualifier on all my guys, friends, and they are like, "What happened?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I went behind the gate for the first time." And uh, the world championship was not finished idea. There was still like, two guys battling for it, which was Kiko Tony and then uh, uh, Bobby Moore. And I did faster than them the lap time, so I lined up on the side, and I got Bobby Moore was the world champion on the right side. And then Kiko Cooney was the second on the left side. <laughs> so I was like, okay, <laughs> let's start with the big guys. But, <laughs> but um, no, it went straight away when I was lucky. I got a uh, good race suit. And I did fourth in one photo and eight in the other one. With, uh, I think I saw the gate drop on Thursday, on the first start. And I see the two guys starting. And then I'm like, okay, well, it's time to go. I was kind of under pressure. And then I came from you know, way far back, back to early. Which was a good race, and then the second race, I, I had a good start. I was like uh, probably uh, eight also, and then I came back to uh, to third, and then on the last lap, uh, old guy uh, who's experienced passing back. Yeah. So uh, the race crop. Yeah, yeah. on the last lap. No, that was the first time doing the world championship, and that one good. So I was pretty lucky. I think the way everything pins all up, you know, to my European career. Not many injuries and everything, you know, progressed in the year. Got some good results. Yeah, nice. So obviously, like that world championship would be pretty accessible, I guess, for you being in Europe already. But yeah. was that always a goal, or is it just sort of a natural progression that that took place? No, it was a it was a natural progression of racing. You know, I didn't um, I, I didn't come from motocross background, so I didn't have any uh, specific uh, game plan. Yeah, you know my my thing was uh, you know to race, and I think the, the racing was even more motivating than me than riding actually, and I was always a better racer than uh, than just practice or stuff like that. So racing was uh, you know I put a helmet on and I went to the gate. You know, it was uh, I was ready to go. Yeah. That's where I was, and um, so it was natural, and then. At the time, the European Championship was really a European Championship, so you could step. 
and then uh, all the factory or were giving a, a lot of support at the time so it was a little bit easier to to get you know help and get some bikes and some parts and, and then when you reach the world championship you could be on a good team you know pretty quick if you were doing good things young yeah yeah so was that sort of the did that come naturally for you the racing side of it? like you say like putting your helmet on and putting your race face on yeah that no, no, it was always like that. Yeah. I, just, I, was, uh, I just love racing. Yeah. I just love racing yeah. more than anything. So no, I always, no, always played and I did, I did some, you know, hard work. And I was lucky uh, when I turned uh, 14, just before 15, I moved to um, like um, a prep school for, for racing, uh, which was the um, Olympic school in France. And they, that was the first time they allowed a motocross rider to, to be part of that school, which was in Paris, not the easiest. Yeah. But <laughs> it was uh, the first time they allowed a motocross guy to come in. Yeah. And for me, it was a big thing because uh, I was from a small town and um, you know, I couldn't really practice as much as I needed. So I was always a little bit short. And the fact that I went to that school uh, young, uh, Somewhere, you know, 15 is on the young side, mm. but um, that's, that's what so they created a youth team and then go help the, the guy who more achieve the world championship on the weekends. Right. So I just, that just happened that everything fell into place at that time for me. And I guess right place, right, right time. So he was my coach in the week. And then on the weekend, we'll, we'll, uh, he was going to the GPs and, and stuff like that. And I was able to go back home and see my family. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So France themselves actually backed that, that support and that for the team. Yeah, that's cool. The system got taken over later on by a different federation. Yeah. But France is the first one who started it and put it in place. And I guess that was the product of the first generation who went through that. Well, I guess that's paying off because they just won the designations again, didn't they? So yeah, I, uh, I was pretty surprised. I was not bad to bet. I was not betting um, on them for sure. But, uh, yeah, on American turf. Yeah, no, I was not. Uh, I was not convinced by the American team. But I was more convinced by the Netherlands team. Mm. But uh, even with uh, you know their light uh, rider uh, couldn't race, they still finished on the podium because. Um, Cold enough and Erlings did very good. And uh, if you know the, the light rider could have finished at least the top 15, yeah, uh, they would have won the, the nation very easily. But you know, he had a rock to the eye, blew up his bike on the first one, and then after he had a rock to the eye, and the doctor from the federation didn't let him race. So, all put together, and, uh, I was like, yeah. So, something I really did want to ask you about was that 98 world title. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Like, obviously, he's one of the greatest riders of all time. Mm -hmm. 
But that's the goat, I think. He's a great artist. Stefan, uh, I think he's the one who has to the world, uh, the world record of championships. Yeah. Championships. Obviously, that would have been a hell of a battle. Yeah, that, it, was, that world title. It, was a, it was a tough battle, uh, definitely until the last race, race or definitely was tough. Uh, you know, the, the season was a rough season. Uh, as, I don't know, on his side, on my side, um, because uh, we battled pretty hard and uh, up and down, you know, some, we were basically both of us were fastest and the other guys. So, uh, so um, it's, I think if I he think was, he was not winning, I was winning, and if I was, and I was second, then we are opposing for the other side. Mm. So, I think one rider is the only one who got the win that season um, because of the gearbox. And I was not able, I finished the race, but I didn't, uh, I couldn't pass him. Yeah. So, we got the PR, which is head of KTM Racing Day, was the one who won the one that, that year. But uh, no, the race was uh, was hard. Uh, was not the most pace. And I don't, I don't think, think I win the, I won the championship on the last GP. I think I won the championship the weekend before in Switzerland, where we had a pretty good fight. And then uh, at the end of the day, I took him out and I kind of straight shake him up a little. Yeah. And uh, he, he came to the final. He was not feeling 100% in his mind. Yeah. And that was the weakness that I just needed. Yeah, nice. So how would you rate, would you rate him or who would you rate as, I guess, your, big, your greatest rival? Like that? I would still, uh, I think I would rate uh, RC, yeah. Michael. Yeah. yeah. My greatest rival. Um, not Stefan, because I think Stefan and I were completely opposite, you know, as far as riding style, as far as character also. Yeah. So we're pretty um, different. And for me, it was easier, meaning that, you know, I'm, I'm I think, more of a fighter. Yeah. And uh, he's kind of, he's a fighter on his way, but he has more, let's say, finesse and technical skills, being able a rider to ride a little bit smoother than me at the time yeah and uh, had more that uh, you know uh, uh, like fighting spirit yeah so it was a little bit easier for me to, to race with him i know that it was easy but it was easier <laughs> and uh, when i came to the us and race uh, rc it was a little bit tougher because we we're both like so i could you know i was racing basically myself in the mirror yeah. So, you know, both had the same frame of mind and both fighters and we made a job. Good battles. Yeah, big battles. <laughs> <laughs> big battles. Um, this is probably a good spot to throw this question. You know, I had a guy on my podcast, Stephen Tuff. He's actually a journo mm-hmm. um, for Australian Dirt Bike Mag. I told him I was going to be talking to you. So he had a couple of questions. And one of, one of his, he was actually at the Des Nations in 2000. Yep. Said you passed Carmichael and and gapped him. Yeah. And he reckons it was one of the most amazing things he's seen. He said the crowd just went nuts. Especially in France. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was one of the race where we had a battle, but you know, it was special in, in the way because it was in France and there was motocross nation, which motocross nation for me is one of the most um, amazing races. Mm-hmm. You know, as a racer, you know. You work hard all season and you get your championship and that's what you have to do. And when you come to the motocross nation, it's the first race 
the only race of the season that you do as a team. Um, so so it, it has a different spirit to it. Yeah. And uh, you're fighting for your country, so it's a little bit different also on that side. And it's, it's nice, you know, the, the game plan is not the same. Mm. And uh, what, 2000 representation was in France, and uh, we had that year a lot of poverty to RC where we bang bars a lot and bash each other a lot. But being a representation, that was kind of something extra. Yeah. First model was supposed to be good, and we had the, the first model was, I think, a basic model. We got away. Basic model, we got away, we got away, on right away. And then I, I got, you know, I hung up with a couple guys, and, and then when I got to second place, it was already far, so I couldn't get to him. But the second model was, uh, I think it was, uh, my side was like I need to step, you know, in and make sure everything goes with the team. Yeah. And Roncada um, was my teammate, uh, beat Pastrana, both models. And um, I beat uh, RC on the second model with quite a bit of hot pass and shoulder moving and off the track and all that stuff. And uh, but I got him, so I won the other one by one. And, Unfortunately, Fred Boulay was a third guy, uh, broke his nose in the race. So that's why I was disappointed this year for Netherlands. Because I have a feeling that's happened to us. Yeah. So, are you sort of of the opinion that's a bit fair game, Robin's racing, when you get out on the track? Are you. I think it's a fair game. Yeah. It is part of racing. As you're not going straight into that, you just take him out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But uh, and not fighting, uh, you know, throwing feast or stuff like that. Uh, that's that's not what kind of racing is. But um, if bumping and and rubbing, that's part of racing. You know, there's no there's no reason why not. You know, and uh, I think you know when you you're faster and you're able to get into that inside of the other guy. Outbreak someone. Yeah, outbreak someone by the inside. The other guy needs to be smart enough to let it go. Sometimes the guy like, oh, then they, they get hit hard and then crashed and they, made, you know, they complain and cry. It's not really, you know, it's part of the game. You know, you sign up somewhere at the bottom and it's not a, you know, it's not an easy sport. Yeah, absolutely. As long as it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I would agree. I'm, I, that's what I love about racing, I guess, is like putting the wheel up, yeah. up the inside, that so cat and mouse thing, like chasing me, someone. You know, guys who came on my inside, and I'm like, man, you, you got to surrender mm. for that corner. Yeah. But you always have a next corner. Yeah, that's right. You always got to come back. Yeah. <laughs> so that, like, when you pass Carmichael, gap him, what, what's the key, like, in a an instance like that when you've got to push, go that next level, what do you think? At that level, it's, um, it's all mine. Yeah. It's not uh, technical, it's not the bike. Um, most, most of the championship, most of the guys we see on front, is because mentally uh, they were able to get that year the gap, mm. you know, and, and they are a little stronger or something uh, that year and they, they feel better. But you know, when you get to the highest levels, all the riders are very close to each other. You know, you can see the. I mean, I just year I've been at the, at the GPs, uh, and the GPs a lot uh, because there are some riders out there, and 
you can see from you know, the first to 15, there's two seconds. Mm. There's not, that's not that much. In two seconds, it's a lot, but when you have uh, 40 riders almost like that, uh, that's nothing. Nah. You know? And I think at that level, the mind uh, is the one to make the difference. And motor presentation, that was the same thing. You know? uh, I was mentally, I guess, more committed to decided that I was going to win it. And that was, I think that's. That's the difference these days. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, you can be as prepared as you want, as easy as you want, you can have the best bike, uh, but if your mind is not right, it's good. You lose something. Yeah. And I think the mind, the mind strength is uh, the desire, the fire. Yeah. Uh, to go, you know, that extra mile sometimes is very important. You know, we have a great example on. Uh, we have a good table now, which is amazing. Rather, right? technically, is amazing, but sometimes you can see how there, and you cannot see the fire that early for that already has. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was. Do you think it? Like, it's obviously desire, like you say, like a, a, the the I guess the want. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. think it's? like an ability for them to actually like switch off all the other, like get into that flow state and not be thinking about what the other yeah, riders doing or think you think it's just purely I desire. I think it's pure desire yeah. where you are in your life and where you are in what's, what's happening around you, mm. the people who are around you also, how you surround yourself. Um, coming back to Poulain, I mean, coming back to Poulain, I mean, five years ago we had it. He was capable of being. He was uh, capable of being crown champion. Yeah, crown champion. And uh, he, he had the spirit. The the you know that that went away. That went away. Yeah. And today and today is not. When you look at him, look at him. Uh, I mean, as you know, he doesn't have that that, that thing mm. to be able to potentially add there. Yeah, he is a great rider, and he can do podium things like that. But if you compare him to Antonio Caoli or. Jeffrey you know, these guys has have in their head the impression that they can be in the front. They back themselves. And that makes yeah. a big difference. You know, when you know when, when Jeffrey, Jeffrey Ellis uh, had that bold statement on Instagram after the first nation, that's, that's the bold statement. Yeah. And you know, you need to be able to back it up, but nobody can say anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, he is right. The only thing is uh, next year he's gonna have to back it up again. Yeah, absolutely. And so is that something, do you think that is, I guess, trainable in, or do you think that's just got to come from the rider? It's got to come from deep down. I think it grows in yeah. as, as a racing. I know it doesn't happen naturally. I don't believe so. Um, I think it's there in, in most everybody. Um, I think you, you develop by... Circumstances, I would say, how you develop your racing career. If you know you're able to push and, and, and train, and and you know when you're suffering on off the bike and training, um, that gives some you know some idea of you know why you are doing this. You know if you're you can be suffering and it should, it should be a sweet thing. Yeah, uh, everybody's still not sweet enough. <laughs> and uh, you get that, that feeling that you know. I don't, I don't know. know. But for me, it was like I knew what I wanted. Yeah. And uh, I think every world champion knows it. 
Mm. You know, every U.S. champion, every every champion has um, in. It's sometimes that it will become natural. Mm. You know, with the work you have done, when you know that you did you did your classes and you did the work that was supposed to be done, and mentally everything is clicking. Mm. Everything is clicking not by chance. I think uh, chance. There's not much chance out there. You know, you create your luck. I think if you do your homework, you do it away. And if you give a little bit of room for creativity, um, everything works. will work very well. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people are too you know, strict and they think you know, by doing everything to the T, to the it will work. But no, you, know, you have a good part of it. You know, I would say 90% of it is the work you put in and, and the, the fact that you do things right. But there's at least 10% who has to be the creativity mm. of the writer. Yeah. You know, the, his experience, his, uh, his knowledge, his, his will to fight, his, all that is probably this 10% that makes the difference between you know, a champion and another champion. Yeah, and I guess that, I guess willingness to learn a little bit too, like you say, being a bit flexible. and Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not... You know, like I say, if you do everything to, to the T, you'll be close, mm. but you will be missing something. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's got to come, like you say, Hurlings, it can't, he backs himself, but he, like you say, he knows he's done the work. He's trained, he's spun his motos. He's like, he's that level of, I guess, intent to everything he does builds that confidence, that self-belief. Elliot is the guy on top of the world right now. Uh, for sure, he done it his, his way. way. Yeah, uh, it's not a, a proper way to do it. There is guideline where you can do it, and uh, he is the one today that probably ride the most of all riders that yeah. I ever known. Uh, he's capable of you know doing five of those a day. Yeah, and the next day doing it again. Yeah, you know when no Tagoro is his forty minutes models. Yeah. You know, you do five a day, that's a lot of time on a motorcycle. Gotcha. Uh, so at his uh, intensity. He's, he's pushed that limit, pushed that limit far, you know, far, very far. Very far. But that's, but that's what worked for him. Yeah. You know, you can put anybody on the pen, um, they would run off, mm. they would run out and, and be disgusted by uh, race mm. yeah. That's you know, that's the truth, that's the way it is. Yeah. But that's his plan. Mm. And you know, the guy is uh, on this side is a phenomenon. You know, for, for me, me, I was not like this. You know, I needed to have a different regiment. I needed to work on, on the bike, on speed, on endurance, and then have my my training, physical training on the side, and, and be strong on that side, which balanced me out for racing, recycling, these uh, different things. You know, being more flexible. But for him, it's uh, it's. Riding, mm. you know, the guy is capable of going to a national championship in Netherlands on Saturday and do his qualification, time qualification, race qualification, and he feel like he didn't ride enough. He'll pack up, go to a track not far, do another 40 minute moto. Yeah. And the next day we we'll go for the three motos and we win all the classes. And on Monday we'll be back riding. Yeah. I mean, he's on an animal. Side, he's an animal. Yeah. But on the other side, he doesn't do much physical training. Yeah. Some light physical training. But today, you know, he's his way. Mm. You know, maybe he's going to get burned out 
past. Mm. Maybe, Maybe that's what you need. Um, you don't know. Yeah. You know, when you're successful, anything is great. Yeah. You know, is successful, no problem. Works. When uh, when time gonna get tough, because they will get tough. Mm. You know, yeah. You're gonna have younger guys coming in or older guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be over next year. <laughs> but um, when you know when it's get tough. And you need to reinvent yourself because you have to career, you have to career, you have to reinvent yourself and find that, find that new burst of energy to keep going and be fast. Maybe be work for him. I don't know. Yeah, be testing. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get back to that because there's probably a, a few questions I've got around that sort of stuff and what you're doing now with your guys. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get to that, but. What I did want to, I guess, move on to was the coaching side of, of what you're doing now after the race career. Um, how did that unfold? It started in America, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's Champ yeah, Factory. Time, yeah, Champ Factory in the US. Uh, when was it in 2000? A year, a year and a half after I retired. Yeah. That's when I started coaching some guys. Uh, why? Uh, because I was missing it. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Was know, that just um, another natural progression? Wasn't something that you'd yeah, always. I think I was one of the, the first uh, generation of guys who coached. You know, yeah. French Federation and having a coach mm. when I was young. And then through my career, I got, you know, Jackie Vimon was my first coach on, on motocross, which he was the, uh, the first French world champion. Mm. And then uh, after that, I got Ricky Johnson as a coach for motocross. We have a lot. Yeah. That, that side also. Um, so for me, it was pretty much uh, natural because I got coached uh, when I was younger. You knew the so benefits of it. I knew the benefit. I saw the benefit of it. So when I retired, and I was able to coach uh, guys and give them, give them my experience, but not only from my side, but from guys who also taught me. Yeah. So the whole combination was really good. And, and I trained Jason Anderson when he was uh, until he was school, and uh, we did a lot of work on that side and the other fast guys in the US that you know win motor and everything. So it's I think it's uh, the natural way the sport changed. Yeah, and it's an evolution of our sport. Yeah, most guys now have a trainer. Yeah, because when you have two, it's always easier to do the job than doing one. Yeah, someone's got your back. Exactly, <laughs> and the day you don't feel like okay, you know, you feel lazy, and well, you got somebody who are there will uh, really help you to not be lazy. Yeah. So that's always, you know, we all have a weak time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Not every day. It's out. Yeah. It's not every day you're gonna feel like getting up and no, not every day smashing out a session. Exactly. <laughs> but I think they're they're the days that make you stronger, that make yeah, you better. Sure. Getting them done. It's also the days where. You need to have somebody on this side who is capable of changing how strong yeah. and hard that they need to be also yeah. to, to keep you on the right path. Yeah. Because you know it's also easier to fall into the overtraining side. Absolutely. Where you know uh, you, don't, you don't know why the results are not there, and then you're getting tired, and you say, if I'm getting tired, I need to train more, and then you here's the sleepy slope. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're Jeffrey Hurlings. <laughs> uh, when, when you're winning, everything is fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what's what's the what was the biggest, the best thing that um, Jackie Vermont taught you? Taught me. I mean, um, 
motocross bikes. You can narrow it down to one thing. <laughs> no, no, but um, uh, I learned from his experience that the one point mattered in the championship. Mm. Uh, Never give up. That was important to always fight for anything happened, you had to fight. Yeah. Your racing career, you know, every model you had to fight. Yeah. Because you don't know how it's going to unfold at the end of the season. And uh, Jackie lost uh, one or two championships by one point. Mm. And uh, because uh, he came in the way, didn't need to come back in and start the race. Yeah. And at the end of the season, he lost by one point. And I think that was uh, I think the for me that was something that was uh, super important because my championship ended up at three points. I mean, three points was crucial. Uh, was um, what made the difference. Yeah. And if I didn't fight it the whole season, maybe I would have gotten two points at the last minute of the of the season. Could have gone and the other way. And I would have not been a world champion. Yeah. So that was uh, for me, uh, I think one of the greatest uh, things that he taught me as a young rider. Yeah. You know, because you crash and if nobody is there to push you, um, it's always easy to give up and come back into the pit. Yeah, yeah. So what's that look like now? Like obviously you're based in Spain, is that right? Yes, I'm based Camp in factory. Yeah. So what's what's it look like now for you with Champ Factory back in Spain? Because you saw. You, you sold the American part, is that yes. right? Yeah. 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 And you just run your bit in yeah, Spain. Yeah, I just mean, uh, I, I, I guess I didn't run it the same way as I was doing it in the US. You know, we need to have uh, more time. Yeah. For my family, which, you know, they obviously have two kids and time home is important also. Yeah. So uh, I kind of focus on just few hours where I can at least. Uh, when I have less people, it's easier for me to free some time also. And with less people also, I can help them, uh, you know, more on the same way. So I have some, some young guys, uh, 85, 125, and, and uh, just them, trying to give them the experience that they need to, to be able to perform to a world championship. So that's, that's what I do mainly. And I train occasionally some, some guys who come over and train them. But I do more on a daily uh, basis. But before, it's super you know, yeah, right. 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 They want to get coached, they come to you. These days, you know, it's pretty easy to join somebody, <laughs> find somebody if you want to find them. Yeah, yeah. So, in social media, it's, it's yeah, we all have social media. So, yeah. you know, people get in touch with you by social media, and that's, that's the way it goes. Yeah. That's plenty. Yeah. So do you think, like, when people come to you, when riders come to you, can you, do you think you're getting good at being able to tell if they've got that that drive, that want, that willpower, like you that talked. I think that's got to come. Racing. Mm. Because uh, any, um, any racer is different. Yeah. Uh, I never knew any racer was the same in practice as a race day. In the good and bad. Uh, you see some guys who are awesome in practice and yeah. when they come to races, they kind of, you know, fall 
down a little bit in, into that intensity. And yeah. our values are not as intense in practice and they, they are stronger in racing. So you can see that a lot um, when, when you see a guy going to race. You know, racing what kind of, you know, adversary he has. You know, not only the racer, but the only the conditions. You know, when it's muddy, when it's sandy, when it's, uh, you know, He's on, on the fight for the last lap with another guy. And uh, you, you have circumstances where a show a rider what he's made of. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's where you see the difference in riders. Yeah. So do you, like, is that some, uh, I, know, I know racing's like the best, the, mm-hmm. I guess the best training for that, but how do you try and replicate that in your training well, the, the training depends, you know, which uh, the different stage in training, uh, preparing a season, I would say. Yeah. Um, there is the phase where you do your base training, where which is all your endurance, and you have to go through it, otherwise uh, the season will be uh, very up and down, and, and you will have to with and resumes, and you're going to get sick, and it's all a mess. Yeah. Um, and the only way to get away from that is... Um, you know, to have a good, strong base. Um, so that is the first part of the season. Not the so season, the first part of the winter pre-season training. Yeah. Where you get your base going and then you get basically uh, your, your endurance. And then when you get close to the season, that's when you start working on your intensity. Yeah. Uh, where you do more sprint laps, more short races. And, and so you develop yourself as a full athlete. Yeah, and then from there you have what you need to be able to start the season and be stronger the whole season. So depending on what period the guy is coming, and that's that's the training depends on what you're looking for and yeah. what are you doing at the time when you come for training. Yeah, you know, you're doing the development, which is you're working more on the technical side, like we have done, we've done today. You know, it's more the technical development where you try to improve the technical rider so you can. You know, get more knowledge and go faster in the future. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be working more on speed, so it's a different way of doing that thing. Uh, it's going to be more laps, uh, more you know, five o'clock, being able to do fast lap times, correcting the mistake and see the improvement today. Yeah. yeah. So these different ways. When you train people, you cannot you know, okay, we're going to train like this and that's it. Um, it's it depends what phase you're on your training. Mm. Uh, if you're in full season or not full season, uh, if you need to improve your speed, but you can improve your speed if you need your base. Yeah. Um, so it's not as easy as where you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you have stages that you need to do. Yeah, yeah. And to be ready to race properly. Yeah. So that's something you, you obviously do that all of that training for your riders, like the off bike stuff, their their yeah. their base training, their yeah. nutrition, all of that. You're yeah. helping them out with every aspect they yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. I advise them on it and and most of the time I do the the winter training I do it with them, you know, we go cycle together, mountain bike or road bicycle. Um, which is the best one of the best ways to get your days because it's long boring and so <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's a way to do it. So I help them go through it. But the most important thing for me is for them to understand it. 
because you know they they probably not gonna work forever with me. Mm. And uh, for me, a job well done is uh, if you're not there, you guys will be capable of doing it. Yeah. To the right way, so you can perform. Yeah. And I think as a trainer, you know, it's very important. And the same thing, you know, when I train kids or guys on the track is, and you know, for some reason it's harder to get it to the technical point they want mm. um, and don't, don't achieve it. But I think it's, it's always uh, the way I was, you know, I learned as a kid, or not as a kid, uh, when I retired from racing, and it was a very good point that my trainer in the French Federation told me was, there's not a bad rider, there's only bad trainers. Yeah. Meaning that the trainer needs to be the one to adapt to the rider. Mm. Because the rider is different. Mm. And the goal of a trainer is to be able to adapt to what the rider needs. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he's going to understand it a different way than others. Or maybe he's, uh, you know, different. Yeah. But the trainer should be the one that is smart enough and have the knowledge to make his rider better. Yeah. No idea mm, it's not my way of the highway. No, exactly. I don't believe in that. <laughs> no. And that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, like you said, with hurlings, like that, that works for him. But obviously you're individualizing your program to suit your riders and what works for them. Exactly. That's, I think that's the best way for a racer to be. Yeah. The base, you know, the base is there and you need to know how to, to manipulate it. But... Every, every rider need a, a different touch. Yeah. Yeah. So what's like an average week of on-bike training look like, unless you're Jeffrey Hurlings, if you're an average that yeah. mere mortal that you're working with, like in, in, in season when they're mm-hmm. racing on weekends, what, how much bike time are they actually the putting early, in? The early part of the season, the guys go between two and three time of riding. Yeah. Uh, and if it's uh, mid-season and end of the season, they, they, they stop at two yeah. times on the bike during the week. Yeah. Motorcycle, when I say bike, is motorcycle. Um, because you have the weekend, which is a long one, and mm. then you have the weekends after the weekends. Um, I've seen a lot in the US, in the amateur. Uh, uh, people going for going four, five days, four, five days of training. training. And, and uh, for, for me, me, I think it was way, way too much. Yeah. Way too much because the kids don't know what they're doing at the end of the day because they get tired. And I, I think recovery is as important as training. Yeah. You know, and when you have a stress of racing during the season, if you did your homework in the winter, uh, you need to be able to be good for the whole season. Be fresh. And fresh. Yeah. And if you override over on a motorcycle, then it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. And uh, so you need to uh, adapt that to, you know, the quantity that you're able to do. And it's the same thing when we talked about two days or three days of riding. It's not two days of riding. Mm. Uh, physical training has its portion and is important as, you know, riding a dirt bike. Yes, we are dirt bike racer first. And then we do physical training as, uh, you know, an extra system before it's in the dirt bike. Yeah. Uh, we're not triathletes. Yeah. And sometimes people have a tendency to forget the difference between a motorcycle and a triathlete. Yeah, yeah. You can overdo it. But, but the, I, think, I believe, you know, a racer should, should be able to go to the gym 
Snapchat ideally. Yeah, but, <laughs> but today when we're practicing that and you've got you thinking about and so much going on, you just like it is, it's such a full on sport. Like mm-hmm. I guess I haven't been a football player or whatever, but I don't know if there's many other sports out there that are on the same level of that. A mental. We need to be complete. Uh, yeah. If you're injured, it's rare to see an injured motocross rider able to race to his highest level. Yeah. You know, a lot of racers is capable of, you know, racing with a bit of injury and everything. You know, I know what they do is amazing. They go so fast. But, you know, on motocross, you can do it that way. And yeah. It's sort of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No matter what it does. You know, you can be the best rider ever, best rider ever. Yeah. So, what are your, what are your, some of your best recovery techniques? Like, do you have, do you do ice baths, stuff like that, or what are you getting your guys to do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, more recent. Yeah. Five. Thing you can yeah, do basically, exactly. <laughs> so you got to be you know able to go run, you know, uh, light the light run, but you get a nice soft you know, some circulation up exactly. Or if it's not running because you're not uh, a cyclist, yeah, um, you can go cycle. Cycle is a low impact sport, also, so it's very good for motocross who has motocross racers who have bad knees, yeah. Um, so but you need to get a light sweat, you know, you don't get a light. Sweat after racing, uh, it's tougher. Yeah, it's tougher to recover. It takes more time. Yeah, the body tightens up. Yeah, yeah. So, what's what's the future holding for Champ Factory? For For Champ Factory or for me? Oh, (laughs) both. I think you know I'm pretty good where I like where I'm at. Yeah. So far, you know, it's um, yeah. Everything been been good, you know. I have some good guys, guys that I like uh, around here that I train, and I'm very involved with what they do because I like the person that, that I'm, you know, coaching, and so that's always a good, that's very satisfying as a trainer, and be able to have somebody on your side, you know, or rather you coach uh, that give 100 percent. I think it's one of the most rewarding thing you can have. Yeah. You, you can do the. You can do the best thing ever, but if the person in front of you doesn't have that 100%, uh, I will fight for it. Um, it's kind of deceiving. You get deceived a little bit and you know, yeah. get down because on your side, you do it in your fault. Yeah. And on the other side, to be as is mm, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, that's always, I think, for parents, that's very uh, important. Um, and today, that's, I think that's where I'm at. So I'm very satisfied by the guys that are training. Uh, 
Oh, and nice. So, um, you know, she uh, she rides the world championship, and I've been working with her for a couple of years, and she's been doing good and progressing. So I'm I'm happy. Um, so I think you know basically what I'm doing, I find a rhythm that I like so far, and uh, I'll be doing it for at least a few more years. And on top of it, you know, I get to travel. So. Yeah, kind of complain. See the sights. See the sights. You know, came here for what? That's the first time at this track. But you know, Australia. I've been here three, four, or five times already. Yeah, in some classes, so I got to meet new people, and that's always cool. You know, you can see different personalities and different type of riders, and and it's, uh, for me, it's uh, always interesting. You know, I like uh, the fact that you go out and you have a knowledge of what you do. And then uh, how can you yeah. help, you know, a rider? And all riders don't need the same thing. You know, like today, you know, when I talked to the guys at the end of the day, uh, I told them, you know, what we did for them, you know, what work I was looking for and mm. what work I'm looking for for them tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, because we're not going to work on the same thing. And because they improve some stuff and then, then we can work on different things the next day. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, that relationship that you have with uh, with the person and with the, the fact that they trust you and they try it, I think is for me something that that I like. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, that's why I get satisfied. It's a good part of the job. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you got some days where it's kind of rainy, some days where it's kind of windy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's... Uh, I mean, if they are riding under the rain and, and uh, in the mud, uh, you know, as part of it, you need to be there with them. Yeah. You know, you sit in the car and uh, come out. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, not really uh, the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. I think that's probably worth mentioning too about how you do coach, like getting back to, I guess, that individualizing it. Yeah. Rider. Like, mm -hmm. do you, I don't know, I haven't seen another riding coach, how you actually you stop each person separately and tell them exactly what they're doing. It's not like... Okay, it's not everyone do this. Mm -hmm. This is how you're going to do it. You're actually pulling everyone up and then you actually have the ability at the end of the day to remember what each and every yeah. person <laughs> you're going around telling everyone. I think that's an amazing, but, but that's, amazing that's skill to have. Talking to a lot of, you know, a lot of friends and it's like, that's why I'm only 10 guys. Mm. You know, I think 10 is the maximum you can do if you want to do it well. Yeah. You know, after when you get bigger numbers, for me, I'm not interested. Yeah. I'm not interested. You know, that's, I like, I like, that's why I had the discussion with Mitch uh, the other day. He says, hey, you know, maybe we can do more. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. You know, I'm, that's not who I am. Yeah. You know, I'm more, sometimes I'm, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> but I'm very... Um, I'm meticulous. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, and after if I, if there's more, then you don't have that, you know, that uh, where you can have that personal interaction with, with the rider to make him progress. Yeah. And that's, when I come to a camp, that's my first goal. Yeah. And not having that, then I will not achieve my goal and I will not be satisfied and I don't like it. Yeah. You know, I like to go and then uh, when I'm done with the day, I'm happy. Yeah. You know? I'm happy with the day. Sometimes these things happen, but it's, uh, you know, it's, for me, that's important. Yeah. That's something, quality is important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So what about you 
you you've got a couple of years on me now. Yeah. Just turned forty. How how has that sort of changed for you in the in the I guess like you say, as you get older? Yeah. I've been on a I guess a similar path. Like I've been working a lot more on mobility, flexibility, recovery, all those things now. Because like you say, you can get away with that when you're younger. When you're younger so <laughs> that's right. So how has that sort of changed for you in the last few years? How are you finding the bodies? Coping. Uh, you did uh, have a few decent injuries over yeah, the years. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I heard uh, I, I had four uh, ACL injuries. I had a rotator cuff tear, both shoulders. So hip? Did to... you dis- you dislocated a hip or something? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Right, uh, that's so nasty. That that's a nasty. Yeah, that's nasty. <laughs> I see my leg going on the side, side like this sideways, <laughs> and I'm like, oh fuck, I'm putting my finger. And then the second reaction was. What? It doesn't hurt that bad. <laughs> and then the guy came. He thought, no, 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 you need to lay, lay down. And the one guy, the medic, came and tried to push me. And then because I moved, and I felt the pain of the femur, of the dislocation. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, no, stop. And he, he was insisting. And I just broke him up. And then just saw the, the fist coming into his back up to the diamond. I said, if you touch me, I'll put I'm going to not take that. But... It was like, you know, <laughs> I, I've been lucky that um, I think it comes down to um, what you eat a lot. Yeah, I was going to ask you, know, you that because uh, uh, I saw your beautiful lunch you made today. Yeah. I was very, <laughs> I was very, very impressed <laughs> with that. No, I think it's... Um, I think, I think what you eat helps you a lot. Absolutely. Um, for as a racer, uh, to have the energy that you need to be able to race. And uh, when you get older, it also helps you with the recovery the body pain. Uh, why? Because um, as a racer, you need to have the good fuel to perform, mm. for sure, and recover. But, you know, these days, you know, all the food is about processed and sugar and... Yeah. and uh, and diet coke, whatever it is, and the sodas, Gatorade, the 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 Gatorade, Processed, yeah. Um, processed food is easy to get. You know, it's convenient. You go, you go, you, you, go, you go, you yeah. buy it, it's done, and that's easy. And that's easy, but that's not what is best for performance. Um, and sugar definitely is not the best uh, for a racer. Uh, the, I think a long time ago, that switch that uh, fat was the enemy, mm. and uh, they replaced fat by sugar. Yeah. And that's when in the US you could see the obesity of people became amazing. Yeah. Because uh, they, they took away the fat, they put the sugar, and the people start growing up and getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And that's um, just uh, the lobbies. You know, they, that's the way they make the money by uh, doing, giving wrong information. Yeah. And obviously, uh, I think that's, total. yeah, that's, that's half the, the problem. problem. These companies market that food as, Healthy, healthy. Yeah. and people don't. They've got no knowledge, I suppose. So they just they're just following. Yeah. 
And, and uh, that's that's why you know when you see uh, yeah, like if you look at my lunch, I'm trying to get you know good products that uh, I know can sustain all day, and uh, it's no, not a big. You don't need a huge amount of food either. No, uh, not when it's good quality. Properly, and uh, but you need to have food that you know that lasts a long time. Well, avocado is a great nuts are uh, uh, very good also, and um, you know. Not roasted. You know, <laughs> we go back to this thing. I think uh, organic food is is very important also. Yeah. Um, you can you can have very good uses with that. And why it's important for me because I think you know when you have a good balance in your diet, um, your body doesn't become as um, doesn't have as much inflammation. That's and, exactly uh, what I was going to say. After in, a day of racing or any exercise, really, your body is inflamed. And, and then you go and eat a ton of shit food, mm-hmm. and that's a whole lot more inflammation on your body. So yeah. it's just making it, it's exactly. hindering the, pr- the process. Hungry, yeah. You know, if um, you feel pain, pain is part of the inflammation that you get, mm. you know, and everything. And uh, I believe that if you, if you have a proper diet, not, not a, it's easy to make the right choice. Yeah. Um, Maybe, Maybe not, not always. Uh, a little bit of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all about the knowledge, knowing the yeah. product, knowing that what um, was taught yeah. on TV or uh, information that is not true. You know, I see uh, the other day I was on watching uh, TV and I was sitting with my wife and we were watching a thing. It was um, people from uh, young, young age, people were all overweight. Mm. And they they were like giving uh, a year of uh, diet on special um, special uh, I would say uh, program and schooling to be able to get them to lose their weight. Yeah. And I see them eating, and I'm like, the diet is giving everything them wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, how are you gonna ask these poor kids to lose weight and feel better and and actually have their mind work properly mm. with the junk they give them. Yeah. You know, it's like the same thing. Like, we go to racing and everybody is like, um, that's the way it was raised, anchored in, into the, the, the head. You need to eat pasta. Yeah. But the pasta is, is sugar. Yeah, yeah. In the body, it's sugar. Yeah. And that's, that's not really what you need for a racing guy. Yeah. You know? Rice is a hundred times better. Absolutely. Yeah. Way, way better than, than pasta. Yeah. And but, but no, no, you know, today, you know, if you ask, ask racing, what are you going to eat? Racing. The guy is going to tell you pasta. Yeah. But it's far away from doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, absolutely. and that's anyone come back to knowledge. And totally. people need to make their, their inquiry and, and be uh, able to. Search, you know, I mean, today with the internet, you have so much power of knowing or asking the right people. Yeah. You know, the people who will go on the, on the right thing. Yeah. To, to be able, you know, you, you look at, I will go in the, and take um, an example uh, because it's the guy who's been doing uh, the best uh, in the industry so far with Adam Baker. Yeah. I mean, all these guys are not, you know, they, they all, if you look at them, um, they are on the right base, you know, and mm. they stay away from all this pasta and, and they eat more fat. Yeah. Uh, fat, fat is not a bad thing. People think bad, fat is bad, but fat is good, actually. That's what your body needs to be able to burn and, and perform. 
absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So you know, good natural fats, I suppose we exactly. can say, like butter, yeah. and, oil. Uh, you see, I don't, I don't understand. And the baker, uh, uh, you know, did his uh, work, and uh, you see exactly they are not fat, but they are toned, mm. and they, they go to fast uh, the food, you know, 40 minutes, 20 minutes, and serve us. And it's not, um, it's not by chance, yeah, you know, it is a meticulous uh, process behind it, yeah. And I think people haven't realized that yet. I mean, it's getting maybe more aware. I'd say the masses. Mm, it, it definitely uh, is, yeah. Still, you know, um, like you say, it is knowledge, but like the government guidelines that they're <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and that's the problem, I think, people are seeing these recommendations by these people, by the government, yeah. by the Heart Foundation. Yeah, and they don't like, uh, but they don't yeah exactly. That's the problem. And, and uh, that's, that's why, why, I mean, you know. I definitely believe that uh, a racer is not only when he goes on the track. I think when you're a younger guy, you get away with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, because you're young, you have a lot of energy. And then as you get deeper in your racing career, you need to also become wise as well what you put in your body to perform. Yeah. And as uh, you know, your recovery goes on. Yeah. That's for sure. I think that's a simple thing, like for the people who are listening, like if it came from an animal or a plant. Mm-hmm. that's a simple like that's my i guess my basic is just sticking with whole foods yeah, yeah for sure. and just cutting out the processed no, shit sure. um but it's, it's in, in it that in itself is a pretty simple concept but mm-hmm. to some people it's very difficult they yeah when you come from eating pasta and pasta sauce and things like this they yeah. it seems very i guess out there but it's a pretty simple concept sure. really you can just stick the real food and you're going to be in a good place. Exactly. I agree. You know, and, and these days, you know, a lot of, a lot of people like a lot of meat, um, but meat, you can eat meat, good meat, yeah. but not close to racing. Yeah. You know, you have to eat meat because I think the best thing is eating of everything. Mm. You know, not like sometimes people get to a regime where it's, uh, you know, vegetarians. I'm like, I'm nothing against vegetarians, but as a racer, uh, you get depleted in yeah. so many, uh, oh, yeah. uh, so many vitamins that you need in your, in your body. You've got to be pretty onto your supplements if you're going exactly. to be a vegetarian. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's other, you know, ways, uh, diets, or same thing, you know, uh, a lot of soy. I mean, all that is not very natural, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, I think if you're conscious of what you're eating and you try to eat, like you say, Raw food, yeah, and you can cook it, and fried foods, I think that's a that's a massive one for Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like fried like fried in vegetable oil type thing I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Like that's I I think that's something. Yeah, no. Of of wedding. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. You can compensate it. It's like I was always surprised, you know. I, I grew up on the farm. 
Yeah. So my parents were, were farmers, or still are farmers, actually. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I knew what was the taste mm. of a real tomato, uh, a real, you know, strawberry. Yeah. And then you go to the supermarket and, you know, you buy something and people look at the price. And, uh, oh, okay, you know, this one is there, but when you taste it, it's... There's nothing in it. Yeah. The amino acids are gone, and it's just like, you know, it was probably kept green and then transported and forced mm. to be, uh, you know, ripped, wrapped, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's wrapped. Be, <laughs> but um, there's different ways. Um, yeah. I think it's uh, be able to, to understand that um, even, you know, if you, you get down, if you have body who are more aesthetic and, and body who are more, you know, prompt uh, inflammation, mm. and you have to understand a little bit, you have to understand a little bit, find out where you, uh, find out where you, you, stand, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, find what is appropriate to you. you know, yeah. Some old veggies are not the best for everybody. You know, like we talked about, you know, training riders and riders need different things. Yeah. Uh, every, everybody has a different need, mm. you know. Uh, some people will, will react to um, uh, broccoli and, and, and stuff like that, or I, I don't know, you know, but they, they are, their body will grow, uh, you know, get yeah, yeah. bigger and, and stuff. And it's not, not everybody is the same. same. Yeah. You got to be able to, to listen to your body and, and make the, the right call for yourself. Yeah. In, in general, like we said, you know, there's one path. But it's not the same for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's close, but it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's like lost my train of thought there a bit. <laughs> like, like I'm not a dietitian. Uh, yeah. It's like I have no, I didn't do the the study for it. But from it's uh, basically you pick it up from yeah exactly that's one thing. That's I'm, sorry, that, that's what I was going to say. That's I think that's a big part of. Like we're we're out here today. We're trying to get better on our bikes. People mm -hmm. go to the gym, they train, but they often just eat the same. They get used to normal, what normal is with their food. Like they've eaten that all their life. They don't change. They don't try different stuff. So yeah. I think that's a big part. Like you say, it's finding what works for you because you like you and I would perform differently to different foods. So yeah. actually trying a bit, bit of stuff like. No, no but, but you have the basis. Yeah. And I think the, the basis is the same. You know, if, uh, you know, instead of grabbing a handful of almond, you grab a handful of, you know, Gatorade. You know, <laughs> the result <laughs> after 10 minutes will probably be the same. No, that's right. <laughs> I will still have energy and it's just uh, going downhill. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, he's training hard this week. No, no it's just no, a matter that what I put in my body and I, I was able to, you know, my body is able to sustain because the, uh, I gave him the right thing. Yeah. You know, and that's why I'm on a, a very slow processed food. You know, I remember when, when I was racing, one, one of my trainers at the time told me, um, you need to be able on race day, you need to be able to eat like somebody who has diabetes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, why? You know, and, I'm, I, and I was younger. And, and I, I, I didn't understand. And it, it was very simple. Mm. You know, it says, well, if you eat things with spike your glycemic index super high, yeah. your, your body will shoot all the blood in that to, to correct it and lower it down. And that blood that's going to correct your glycemic index will not go 
into your muscle to be able to have energy to be able to perform. So, you know, and it's like, you know, in the summer, it's easy to eat uh, antelope and, and watermelon. So it's, it's the worst thing you can do to yourself. You know, people look at it because it's sweet mm. and they think it's con- it has a lot of sugar. But at the end of the day, you know, they are just, it's too, too high of sugar and then you're not content. And then your body will, will feel good about it for the time being. But when you're going to have to go and push harder, well, it has nothing to feel on. Yeah. So that's why it's important to, like I say, you know, there's the, the enemy who look friendly. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, when you eat them, uh, you know, some of the fruits, some of the veggies that you eat, they, they will go, you know, out. Yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why for me spending time with my guy is important when I train during the year because I can be with them and I can teach them. Yeah. And it's not like, it's, uh, it's not like, okay, we're going to go and do a three-hour class and, you know, everything. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. No, that's you, right. You have to be able to make uh, your experience in the right goal. A little habit. And somebody well, next to you says, hey, you know, well, you took this, but okay, you know, you could have... Maybe, maybe go this direction, direction yeah and you should try that next time because you know at the end of the day this will be better yeah and but that's, that's like you say it's that and, and it's such that trial and error and yeah but you want to will to try to get it yeah it's so easy to go and pick up something yeah um, but so, in and, and that was something i was going to mention too that convenience thing a lot of people what they do eat out of convenience but that what you had for lunch today you went to the supermarket last night yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty simple to go to a soup when again when you've got a little bit of knowledge go to the supermarket buy some stuff like that some salad some raw veggies a bit of chicken some almonds bang it in a bowl with some olive oil or dressing whatever mm-hmm. boom yeah no, for, sure. <laughs> for me it's simple but you know yeah um, like I said it's, uh, you have to do the research yeah of what they do and and, and try it. Yeah. And then you see the difference if it doesn't work. Or we'll talk to the right person or I'll give you a little guiding you in the right place. Yeah. And then when, you know, the thing is, I think it's simple enough to do it, but having the will to do it is another thing. Mm. You know, when you have that nice cake sitting out there, <laughs> smiling at you, say, hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to go. Yeah. Well, and that's what I like. If they, if that's a sometimes food, yeah, I think, like, and that's what I tell all my guys, and I've told Mitch, it's it's. Oh, I'm, I'm not big on cheat day, I don't oh, think, yeah. but I'm. Well, I don't know. Are you, who are you cheating? Like, who are you cheating, or why do you feel like you have? Why do you, if I, I think what if you feel like you have to cheat, then perhaps yeah. what you're doing every other day is. But I think it's good to have a cheat day at the beginning. Yeah, because. It makes you feel like, uh, okay, you know, I did that effort, but yeah. okay, I got to get something. Yeah. And then the more you grow into it, the less mm. you need that shit there. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think at the beginning, it's important to have it yeah. for people because if it's black and white, yeah. it's too much right away. Yeah. They have to be able to commit. And then that little extra, you know, maybe, dinner or, or breakfast or something which is not in the right mood, mm. it's okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah and that's, I guess, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I I would agree wholeheartedly. I I guess I probably, I just don't like, I guess, using the word cheat day. I I tell my guys just to bring purpose to their choices. Like if you're going to go out with a mate that you haven't seen for six months and you're going to go and have a couple of beers and a pizza or something, to enjoy that moment with your yeah. friend or a wedding or something like that or a birthday, like then do it. Like don't deprive yourself. But when when that becomes a habit that you you go in for that food because you it's gonna make you feel better or No, no. Well I don't drink. I don't drink so I love a glass of red wine. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm French, so I'm sorry. But, uh, I really love the red wine. I love it. Yeah. Um, but you just I haven't acquired the, the red wine palette yet. Yeah, My dad yeah, loves red wine, but I can't. <laughs> I just haven't, just haven't come at it yet. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's the same thing. I know it's a lot of calories, but I'm satisfied by it, you know, and I don't need that much. Yeah. And it's the same thing, you know, drinking beer is, is rough because... You can drink a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of calories there, and yeah. it's not the best thing ever. Yeah. You know? And I know it's. Obviously, you have a, people have a strong. Heart. <laughs> I guess they're pretty good. On that side. But yeah, that comes back to that that, that purpose thing again. Like, yeah, it's a win. Do you need one beer to enjoy an occasion, or do you need ten? Like, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. exactly. <laughs> unfortunately, it's hard to stop. That's, yeah, that's yeah, like, no, for sure. Same with with food, I suppose. I cannot say any other. But yeah, I see it more like you know, I see it also the same thing as as a racer. You know, I see kids who are pushed by their parents so hard when they are young, mm. and then when they reach reach you know the, the sixteen and seventeen, they disappear. Yeah. Um, because they've been overtrained and pushed, and when it's, it's time to go to the next level, yeah, uh, they don't have that desire no more. And that's uh, you know, I think it's all all this is the same category. Yeah. If, if you push too hard, yeah, uh, into a direction, and you close yourself to what what is around you, yeah, um, at some point it's going to be tough. You know, a kid is a kid. Uh, he had to be able to have some, some fun with his friends. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he has to be balanced. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, I think the balance is the best thing as far as a racer, as far as what he does food, um, everything. Mm. A good balance uh, helps you tremendous, uh, like, it's enormous what you can get out of it. Yeah. And um, when you become a pro, then you switch. It's a professional mm. side of it. But the kid needs to stay a kid until he gets to that level. Yeah, exactly. And people sometimes have a tendency to forget that uh, a kid is a kid. You know, is he, when the kid come out of a race and he didn't achieve or he crashed, uh, I mean, he didn't do it on purpose. No, that's right. You know, yelling at him won't change anything. No. He's already feeling pretty bad. Yeah. You know, and and you know maybe you're gonna disgust him from racing more than you know help him to overcome his problems and make him a better racer so you know 
I know parents sometimes have, you know, the the fact that they they see through yeah. their kids what yeah. they can achieve. Yeah. But you know, and and it's great, but to a certain extent, where they need to be able to judge what yeah. is overboard yeah. and what is right. You know, I know some you know the kids sometimes get a little push, and, you know, get a little uh, you know. Reminded them uh, that they, you know it's not a game. At the end of the day, when you're on a motocross bike, it's a, it's a dangerous sport, so you have to be on top of it and you have to be focused on what you do. But also, it's not um, you know they are doing their best. Yeah, and that's that I see a lot. That sometimes you know arms come down a little bit and, and let the kid do what he's supposed to do the way he wants to do it on the track because. Yeah. At the end of the day, maybe they will have a better result. Yeah. Well, it's like you said before, it comes back to that. Just if they're giving effort, if they're trying, mm-hmm. if they're giving it everything they've got, then that's all you can ask for, really, isn't it? I agree. You know, it's, uh, well, you know for me, <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad always told me, if you crash and you stay on the ground, you better get hurt. Yeah. Because if you're not... <laughs> We pack up and we go home. <laughs> we I don't care if it's the first bullet, if it was the first practice, we pack, pack up and we go, we go home. home. That happened to me once. Yeah. I never did it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same frame of mind, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, and I understood later on when I was older, I understood because you know, when uh, your father or mother and, and you see your kid on the ground, the first reaction you have is hurt mm. and then you freak out yeah. and then you get scared. Yeah. And, uh, and you have the right to be. And that's why, you know, same when I was, same thing I did uh, as my dad did with me, you know, when my uh, son was writing, always writing, I'm like, if you stay on the ground, you better be sure it's a real problem you got out there. So, but it's, uh, you know, I understand. It could be a, it is a frustrating uh, sport, you know, when you're on the side or when you're writing because not everything goes the way you want it. And a lot of people took a lot of effort. And it's the sport that costs a lot of money also. Costs a lot of money also at yeah. the same time. Oh, God, you know. yeah. It's, it's a so, big investment. It's a big investment. Exactly. It's a big investment. Kids that don't, don't see that side. You know, they don't have when they get it, it's a little bit later. And um, it's a little bit later. And um, I know it can be. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy for everybody. No, I don't know the day. Yeah, you have, have to be committed, and you have to be balanced. And you have to be balanced. And have to, have to try to do things right. Yeah. Well, that's some really sound advice, there, man. I really appreciate that. I've got a couple of rapid fire questions. Okay. To finish off, we could probably talk talk all night, but we'll we'll finish off with these few quick ones and mm-hmm. and wrap it up. Two stroke or four. Two-stroke two or four-stroke? He did win two world titles on two-stroke. Two but I like four-strokes. Yeah. Um, today, the way uh, the sport evaluated is uh, I think uh, four-stroke is great. Yeah. Um, four-stroke is more expensive. I think the, the classes need to be done in two-stroke. Yeah. Uh, why? Because um, <clears throat> when you ride a two-stroke, you have to be on point. Yeah. Whatever you do out there, you have to be right on. And that's a very good score. Yeah. So, um, having kids riding, uh, you know, up to the 125, I think is a great thing, uh, because the 125 
uh, after the, the, the 85 transition to a big bike transition, I think is the biggest one and the hardest one. Yeah. Uh, so you see a lot of riders uh, not making it. Um, so for me, it's a hard transition. So going from an 85 to a 250F is a very big gap. Yeah. And you're taking a big chance. It's a big gamble. But passing by the 125 is a good way to to still control the power and 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 go out there. Yeah. Now, when when you're a certain age and you start riding, the stroke is way easier. Yeah. So it's way more forgiving. Yeah. Get away so more. You get away with more things. You do a mistake. You come in the wrong gear. Well, you know, you got a four stroke power and you're gonna get the traction and get out. Yeah. Um, now, you know, the, the four strokes are going way way faster. Mm. You know, to, to these days, you know, um, a four fifty four stroke. Um, I ride a stroke bike. I have a 450 KTM uh, that I ride, and I think that bike is as powerful, more powerful, of my factory. Of my factory bike, when I was. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm like the is, you know, the progress. Yeah. So when I ride, I don't even need a factory. I don't even need a factory bike. I ride a stock bike against suspensions. Very important. Yeah. Because I think suspensions are very important, but engine. I mean. Best bike you've ever ridden, Seb. Mm. I, I think, think the Kawichi stroke that I had uh, in 98 uh, was one of the best uh, two stroke I ever rode. Yeah. Uh, by far. Uh, very good. Uh, uh, there was a factory bike. Yandegut was the manager of the team and uh, also the guy who did the engine. Uh, it was amazing. Was it uh, like an aggressive type two stroke power or did you yeah, work on more smooth? Talking oh, down, yeah. Uh, more, more suited to my style. Yeah. So it was aggressive bike. Yeah. Um, which um, fit me very well, and I think that was one of the best uh, bike I, I ever rode, for sure. Uh, then after uh, which bike, uh, four stroke. I don't know. Four stroke. I was in early stages of four strokes. Um, I'm the one who developed the, the CRF. I'm the one who did the RM also Z. Yeah. Uh, so I was uh, the one who was behind this at the beginning. I raced the first the one on a Honda. I'm one of the first Honda on it. So all these bikes were early stages and, and a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of uh, trial and miss. So you had a lot to do with developing so, those yeah, bikes? Yeah, the, the, the first ones, yes. Yeah, nice. So uh, that was good, right? Because, you know, I was at that age where I had the experience and I was able to, to help them. But, um, but um, I would say, uh, I don't know. I think the bikes of these days. These days are very good bikes. Mm. You know, you can take a Yamaha. You, you know, you can take a Yamaha. It has a different particular feel to it. You can take a KTM. It has another feel. Kawi has a lot. Same feel. It's for long. When you jump on the Kawi, you know you're on the Kawi. Yeah. When you jump on the Kawi, you know you're on the Kawi. Yeah. KTM also. I think all these bikes. I think all these bikes are their own. But they're all great bikes. Yeah, uh, they all have good power. Power. It's just it's a matter, matter of what fits. It what fits. Fit everybody. And when, and when you go to a factory bike, uh, they, they can, can make the bike the way, way you want, want to. Yeah. So, so no matter what the brand is, when you're on a factory bike, you're capable of adjusting it the way you want it, and and you can go fast. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs>
if you can twist the throttle correctly. That's, That's another step. <laughs> <laughs> um, who is your favourite rider of all time to, I guess, not in terms of accomplishment, but to actually watch, like, style-wise? Who, who's your favourite rider to watch on a bike? Hmm. That's a good question. I've not asked that question ever before. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. Because every rider has a typical, uh, you know, typical style. Yeah. Um, you know what? This might. You know what? This might. Insane. Know. Do you know who's mi- who mine is? Huh? You know who mine is? No. My, yeah. Jason Anderson. Oh wow, that's I particular. love I love his style. I reckon I he looks yeah. great he, on the bike. Yeah. Aggressive. He's a, no, he's really, really good position down low. Yeah, yeah, but his his style is very corresponding to the person also. When yeah. He's a super nice guy, Jason. He's a very nice guy. Uh, I know for a long time. Yeah. And uh, he's not the same guy as a racing. Yeah. When you put his he has another face. Yeah. And um, very loose. Uh, he has a way to be loose with the bike, which is very, very nice. Mm. Um, a little bit crazy sometimes, yeah. uh, <laughs> but that's the person he is. Yeah. That's what he is. And, and I agree, but you know, when you look at it, you know, you see somebody like uh, like uh, Skin, mm. very technical rider, yeah. very precise, um, um, and you cannot. cannot Amazed by his riding. Yeah, uh, amazed by his Bird riding. Is not, uh, you know, for me, Bird he's is not a great the, rider, and he has his own. You know, you know, he has mastered. He has mastered his technique and speed. Yeah. Today is at the pinnacle of his. Uh, Today is at the pinnacle yeah. of his uh, way of doing. his fast. That's for sure. Then you see a uh, fast. Then you see a uh, guy who is a hard charger. Yeah. Super hard charger. Less his technique. For sure, but he has a big, but he has uh, a big desire. Uh, great, yeah, uh, great. That's yeah. One and that's quality. Yeah. Um, then you go to you have uh, in Europe, you have Cowley. In Europe, you have Cowley, which I think Cowley would be the one I would pick. Yeah. As a personal riding style. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like how he's light on the bike. I like uh, his uh, choice of lines. Yeah. So for me personally, I would pick Cowley. Um, but he's getting older also. Then, then after you get an air where he's very smooth, mm-hmm. he gives the power of the bike amazing. He's very easy. How yeah. he, he, he's, he's able to use the right tool at the Stand up a lot because he's the same rider, so he has that technique of same riding, which is very, uh, you know, prompt to him. Uh, I, don't I don't like the like look, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't like the look the bike. Efficient. Yeah, and you got a gauger which is uh, a very great style, but you don't know what's happening, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it crashes, it crashes. So I think there's a lot of different ways and riders that you can see. And if I had to pick one, I would pick today. I would pick Anthony. Yeah, nice. So last one. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give an 18-year-old Sebastian? Tally, if you could go back. That's before I went to Europe. Yeah. Yeah. When my last year, 
Uh, I would say that would be bigger because that's when I, I think today, if I look at my career, that's when I did a mistake. Yeah. Uh, when I went to the US, uh, was factory Honda, American Honda rider. And I uh, need to race for them. And my first season, season, uh, I raced uh, 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 yeah. uh, 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 to uh, the Superpuff. I think that was my. Because to be able to learn the life class. Better the Supercross. Uh, to be able to learn that better the Supercross. Uh, that Supercross even switched to outdoors and ride uh, the but my mistake was to go on a 250 stroke and race the supercross by my and race the supercross not the life yeah if I had one thing if I had one thing to the change and the rest I'm happy about all the rest I'd be pretty happy too man well thank you very much I really really appreciate it I've had a great day today out there you awesome. do. You're good at what you do. Yeah, thank you. I, I love what I do. So, so I think, think when, that when helps. you love what you do, yeah. nobody you can figure out. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least you just have the right question. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast. For more information on this podcast episode, please check out the show notes and to check out more of my content, shoot over to my website, www.100percentstrength. That's www.100percentstrength.com. 100% strength to us means giving 100% effort to any challenge we face whether that's in life, whether that's in the gym, or whether that's out on the track. So you can check out some of our free content online. We've got a blog there. We've also got an email list you can subscribe to to stay up to date with events, tips and tricks on a weekly basis. And I'd really appreciate if you give us a follow on Facebook or Insta too. Until the next episode, give it 100%. Peace out.